Hello and welcome to the Mental Health Gaming Podcast. Once again, I am Bradley and this week I'm going to be on my own. This time it's my time to do it as, as Stu is away dealing with a few personal issues at the moment. So yeah, it, it's just me this week. Uh, so there's no one to actually reel me in when it needs time to be reeled in. Not going to segue, I'm going to have a, a, a few games to talk about and I've got a few things I want to get off my chest uh, with regards to the gaming industry. So before we get into talking about games as such, I um, just want to first of all cover Activision. Um, it's an ongoing story so I'm not going to talk about it fully today, just uh, in full support of the workers. Do what you've got to do to make sure the right people are punished for what has been happening there. Uh, we are completely behind you. Also, just to add, those who listen to the show and have been going through some stuff, more than one of you, we are thinking of you. That's, what, that's all I want to add. We love you and we are thinking of you. And that's to more than one of you at the moment, unfortunately. Um, anyway. Anyway, on to games. On to games. I've been playing three, technically five, this week. That might give you a clue as to what one of them is. So, first of all, we will go into Jurassic World Evolution 2. Been playing a bit more of that. And delving into a few little areas and a few little bits I've noticed since playing a bit more. And it's definitely an improvement on Jurassic World Evolution in every single way. The quality of life stuff alone is spectacular. So I've dived into a bit of sandbox, done some of the challenge modes. And it leads on to the one issue I do have with with, with games in general, actually. But we'll come on to that. Uh, but some of the little good quality of life that goes in there. So you can actually tailor each of your shops a bit more now. Um, to try and maximise profit. Um, and it works in a really interesting way that you can sort of, you kind of work out what sort of people are in your park and what they want from your shops and you kind of tailor what's being sold. And you can maximise your profit by actually spending time with these, unlike in the last game. And you could go, right, let's sell this, this will this will bring this bar up, this will bring this bar up. And you kind of get a maximum profit on it. You get, like on each of these things that are demanded, you get ticks and then you've done it. Now, first of all, I was going, I'll oh, just throw everything at it. We'll get the ticks and everything. But the more you throw at it, so if you just went, oh, look, we'll just sell lots of everything, you actually start to mid, like your profit margins go down. So you have to really think about what you're doing to make everything work. And it's a really good thing. It's the paths between things. You can unlock different path types now, which is really good. And that could sort of change sort of like how busy the park gets, how many people it can actually handle, um, how busy certain areas get, which works not just from a sort of like a comfort point of view, but also a safety point of view within the park, which is, again, it's a really good thing. But one of my favourite quality of life improvements has to be sort of like the, the, the hatching of dinosaurs so it used to be you kind of you hatch them at a science center type thing and they're oh, hatchery i can't remember what they're called adhd 
uh, you kind of release them into a shed, into a pen, and then you sort of like go right. Then we can transport from the pen to the paddock that we want them to go in, like the the, the exhibition. And you kind of had to have maybe two, three, sometimes four different um, hatcheries around um, because like, you don't want your your big carnivores going in with little herbivores or, or anything like that because they're gonna they're gonna munch on them. So you had to take up a lot of space to try and have these different hatcheries to do like release them into certain areas and then transport. But what you can now unlock and what is I, I love this is you can hatch and then release to a certain exhibition or a different paddock or, or, or things like that, which is really, really good. Um, so you can kind of like hatch, uh, you know, a T-Rex and just drop it into its own exhibition straight away or you can still release into the paddock so you might have a paddock for herbivores release them all into there to start with and then take your t-rex and instead of putting him in there and him going oh dinner you take him and you drop him into your into your into your paddock her rather sorry i should say it's jurassic world jurassic park all dinosaurs are meant to be female but there's one issue i have got with with, with the game and it's an issue i've had with quite a few games and that comes from the unlocks you get for the sandbox mode. You have to complete certain challenges to unlock different dinosaurs and bits to put into sandbox. And I get the idea behind that. I really, really do. But you've got to start completing certain like hard challenges. And to be honest, I'm not great at these games. Um, and I, I struggle with the hard challenges. So I'm never going to get the full unlocks that I, that I might possibly need. Um, sandbox mode developers publishers anyone who makes these games in sandbox mode just give me the option to unlock it all that's why it's a sandbox tell me i'll lose access to achievements or whatever i i don't know or don't don't link achievements to the sandbox mode but the sandbox motion for me just to go in and do what i want that's why it's a sandbox don't lock things behind progression um i don't think that should happen that's that's any game any game, don't lock it behind progression. Or if you do, give me the option to bypass that. I've paid for the game. I need the option to bypass it. The only thing I really want to say about that, because overall, fantastic package. Absolutely loving Jurassic World Evolution 2. Yeah, big fan of Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, anything Jurassic, I'm in. And this, as I said last week, absolutely sublime. So, moving on. And where do I go with this one? Oh, what hasn't already been said across the internet. Uh, I've been playing Grand Theft Auto Trilogy, the Definitive Edition, whatever it's called, ADHD again. I don't have notes. And I've been playing it on the Switch. And oh, I don't want to put the boot in. I really don't because I, I, I like the old games. Uh, I prefer the old 2D ones on the PlayStation One. Don't get me wrong, but I like the old games. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't want to go too hard. But it's already been said the the ports are a mess. Now I I got them on Switch because I think I've got various degrees of the games on other systems like on the PC and stuff like that. So I don't need them on the ones. I just want to play it on the Switch. Play it handheld and. I think I played like a, a, an hour of each, a couple of hours of each in the end. But I, I put it on. I'd already heard some of the complaints. And 
I wanted to go. I don't know what the fuss is about, but it honestly seemed okay to start with. And I was playing it handheld. Um, doesn't look good on the big screen, by the way, but playing it handheld absolutely looks fine. Looks fine. Looks like a PS2 uprez on the handheld. Um, it seemed okay to start with. Um, the Grand Theft Auto 3 started with. It's like, okay, and then, oh, bugs. Lots of strange texture bugs, physics bugs, character models. Oh, it just started going wrong. So, on to Vice City. Looked okay. Same thing. Just it's bugs. Lots of bugs. And San Andreas, again, exactly the same. Lots of bugs. I don't know what's gone on. I don't know why... Rockstar haven't sort of like got the guys who do all the magic ports. Um, I forget their I forget their name now. That's really bad. Uh, but you know, do like The Witcher onto onto Switch. You know, they've done Rocket League. They do all those, and they make a good job of it. Get those guys in. Don't do it in house. Get the experts in. And you probably would have bypassed a lot of this. Um, a lot of the issues would have been would have been gone. Now, I'm not going to go too much detail. It's all over the internet what's, what's wrong with these games. They've been pulled from, I think, PSN and uh, Steam have pulled them or Rockstar's own store. It's all been... They've been pulled. You can't you can't get them at the moment. Um, so I'm assuming they're going back to the drawing board. They're going to rework them. There's going to be patches. So, I, I, you know, I kind of... I'm gonna, I've, I've put the games down. I'm not going to go back into them until they're patched. Uh, because I've got fond memories of those games and I want to rejoin for what they are. What is a shame, though, with this is I was hoping this was going to be good purely because I wanted to see GTA 4 maybe get a little go, a port of GTA 5. I mean, we could do The Witcher, so there's no reason why we can't do GTA 5 onto Switch. Liberty, Liberty City Stories, Vice City Stories, Chinatown Wars. I wanted to see them all. Wanted to see them all for a game preservation point of view. Get them all on the Switch. Whether that'll happen, probably less likely now. But who 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 knows? It is it is a shame. I was hoping this was going to be good, and you know, a chance to play some Graph Theft Auto on the move again. I haven't done that really since uh, Chinatown Wars. I love the stories games. They were really good, really, 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 really good. So, who knows what the future holds with these, but hopefully they get patched, they get fixed, get a blue point or, or someone on to them to, to, to get this done. Even if it takes a year. You know, even if it takes a year, get the work done on it. Maybe do one at a time. You know, a few months working on Grand Theft Auto 3. Get that fixed, get that out there, move on to Fire City and move on to San Andreas. You know, we've bought the games now. We've got them. Those of those of us that have, get them patched. Take your time if you have to, but get them fixed. Uh, not much more to add. I say I don't want to put the boot in. It's already been the boot's already been put in many times. It's they're not good. We know that. Uh, so hopefully Rockstar get it sorted. On the flip side, though, finally, I've been playing one more game this week. And it's a game that I got back in October. And uh, early to mid-October, I got this game. And I kind of got distracted by uh, Tetris Effect Connected to start with. 
and then I got hit by COVID, which meant I wasn't playing anything. And then the big releases came out that I was sent codes for, um, and it kind of it kind of got pushed back, and I forgot about it. But in my sort of like, oh god, oh god, oh god mode with uh, Grand Theft Auto. I then went back and went, oh, I haven't played this one yet. It's called A Little Golf Journey. And it's wonderful. It's just a wonderful little game. It uses golf as its base mechanic. But what you've essentially got is a series of puzzles set on a diorama. Various different dioramas that are golf courses. And the idea is it's golf. You you need to get the ball in the hole after, like within a certain amount of shots. Really good. And it's more of a puzzle game than it is a golf game. So it's not requiring you to be good at golf. The game doesn't really care whether you're good at golf or not. It's like you kind of almost aim where you want to go. Um, and you've got like a precision thing. So you've almost got like this affinity symbol type precision meter and the size of the circle and the wider the circle, the faster the infinity thing goes. And, you know, you, you get more control. So you can try and overhit it, but you've got to be really like lucky or precise with your timings or you can bring it back a bit. And then you do it, you take your next shot, you take your next shot, pop it into the hole, really simple putting mechanic. There's a blue line, put it over the hole, hit it in. Doesn't care if you're good at golf. And, you know, I think in the game there's like 10 different courses or environments, 100-ish holes, uh, plus you can unlock more if you go off the beaten track a little bit. Um, As I say, the dioramas are beautiful. It's it's an aesthetic I love in games is dioramas. I'd love to see more games that are like diorama based. But yeah, you do it. You got this world, you like this world overview. Then you go into each individual hole where you could sort of like look around. And you know, it's not about just taking like normal golf route. You you can go off. You find secrets. Like it's actually called like you have to find blue things. And you can find different secrets and then unlock different holes. And my, my initial thoughts were sort of like, this is good, but what could it do to last? And what it does, it layers the game gradually. So it starts off fairly simple, green and stuff like that. Box, like almost standard golfing holes. And it, it doesn't go too far crazy or anything like that. But the overarching story is like two lovers sending letters to each other. And there's like... As it goes, it's like that somewhere their relationship's not going great, so that affects what the um, like the colour scheme and the environment is. It's, it's, it's an interesting little overarching thing. Uh, but what it does, it starts to add in like different weather effect, effects and uh, little touches like that as you go, which keeps it feeling interesting and fresh and new. Can't remember how much it actually is. But it's on, you know, I, I played it on the Switch. I believe it's also on Steam. Um, I don't know any of the other consoles that it's on. But it is a very good, good game. I'm, I'm, I'm having a really good time with it. So, yeah, that's a, that's a little golf journey. It's, I think, about 15 quid, I think it comes out as something like that. Amazing little game. Really, really do like it. And if you get a chance, give it a play. I reckon there's a good six, seven hours I think I've spent with it since picking it up. So, yeah, give that one a go. So, I don't know really what what to do now. I I was going to have a discussion about certain elements of gaming. But I don't know. I don't know whether on my own whether I can have a discussion. I I, I can in my head. I've, I've done it quite often. I've had a discussion in my head. 
And no, we'll save it. We'll save it for another time. We'll save it for another time. We'll see how this Activision story pans out. But, I, you know, I just wanted to... It's mainly going to be a discussion about sort of like where we are with, with indies and AAAs and the industry as a whole, really. But we, we, we will save that. So they're the three games I've been playing. I highly recommend Jurassic World Evolution 2. Absolutely thoroughly recommend A Little Golf Journey. It's a twee little fun, beautiful game. And unfortunately, I'd steer clear of Grand Theft Auto Trilogy until they fixed it. Uh, but yeah, that's it. Stu usually does the outro. Uh, and I, I, I kind of, my brain switches off when he does the outro. So I kind of forget the words. So I'm just going to say, look after yourselves. Whatever you've got going on in your lives, there is someone there for you. Never be afraid to reach out, ask for help, ask for support, shoulder to cry on, anything. Just reach out. You do not have to be alone. So from me, please look after yourselves, take care, and we'll speak next time. Hi, so Stu here. In a little bit of a turnaround and a bit of a surprise, I'm available now to talk as well, so I'm going to go through a few things. Big up to Brad for recording on their own and apologies for not being able to be there with them when they were doing that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to just talk through a couple of games and tell you what I thought of them and then I'm going to talk a little bit about my life in a short amount just to wrap things up and to do a little bit of explanation. I know that a lot of people won't be here for that kind of detail, so please, please, please feel free to skip the end part if you just want to hear about the games. I'm not going to take it badly. Not that I'd know, anyway, (laughs) but you know. So yeah, the first thing that I've been playing this week is Space Moth Lunar Edition on the Switch. Now the Switch has started to sort of carve out for itself a little niche as the home of shooters which is really good. It does bring up a kind of thing about what is the best format for stuff. I think in a, in a sort of post 32-bit era of, oh, you know, you've got your handhelds, which can do very little in terms of power, but are great for portability. And you've got your console under the telly, and that's like a cut-down PC. You, we're now in a state where things are much more fluid. And, you know, you've, you're... You're under the telly console is much more like a PC than it ever was. You know, it's got a hard drive, it needs patching, it has upgrades, all that kind of caper. And your handheld devices, your handheld devices even, are getting more and more powerful as well. And so it's increasingly becoming more important of what form factor is right for you when you're playing, slash what form factor is right for the game that you're playing. I think a lot of people who are into shooters have seen this niche on the Switch develop of shooters being available and they get make sure they've got the Switch with the Joy-Cons and they connect them to the TVs and they use a professional pad or they buy one of those adapters so that you can flip the screen into what we used to call back in the day Tarte mode which is the rotated mode to move the ratio to 916 rather than 169, which is your classic 
widescreen format aspect ratio since the early 2000s and yeah you, you do that you you do that if you get them if you've got if you're in the switch if you're into the switch for these things and you should be if you're in shooters because there's tons of them that's great so i played this game on a switch Lite, and you can't rotate it so it's kind of a little bit pointless a little bit of a class of the format being completely wrong for the game that I'm playing. Now, this isn't really the fault of the developers or the publishers or Nintendo. It's not really anybody's fault. Things have moved on. There's a Switch Lite edition. It doesn't have Joy-Cons. If you try and play this kind of game, it's not going to work. And to explain that, in its regular format presentation, which is, you know, it's more of, it's a vertical shooter in the classic mold, so you're gonna you're gonna have a smaller section of screen when you're presenting in widescreen. On the Switch Lite, it's I measured this with a tape measure for your delectation delight. The aspect ratio at 916 on the Switch Lite means that you've got 70 millimeters by 45 millimeters visible, which is about what three three inches by two or three inches by one and three quarters, something like that. In shorthand, it's minuscule, and it's not fun to play something that's so precise, so dependent on protecting your core, and being able to see a lot of bullets in your close vision, and then with, as you do with shooters, particularly bullet hells, using your peripheral vision to see what's coming, so that you don't have to be staring at every single aspect of the screen to be able to get that information into your brain. Now, what's cool about this game, it does allow for Tate. It does allow you to rotate the screen, but it doesn't rotate the controls alongside it. So I would have tried playing it, rotated, with using the left analog stick to move, and the joypad, which is directly beneath that on the left-hand side of the unit, as the shooting mechanic, the shooting buttons, basically. So yeah, you know, left for regular fire, up for bomb, right for special, that sort of thing. But no, unfortunately, it doesn't flip the controls. So it's 100% designed for Switch owners to have one of these shooter-type setups. So, you know, like I said, either getting your Switch separate and sticking it on your telly and using a, a professional pad or a good joystick, or playing it with the rotated thing on your, on your bespoke little system that you've got set up for that. So it's a lot of talk, really, to say that I can't really play it properly. I can't get any real joy or, you know, fine-tuning out of that setup. So I've not been enjoying it at all, and that's not a fault of the game. What I would say is it looks great. The mechanic is good, so a lot of them are a variation on how you mix up avoiding bullets and collecting scores from those bullets and turning enemies into points. So a lot of bullet hell shooters are like that. The way that this does it is very good. You have a field around you that is a, like a collector. It increases or decreases depending on how well you're doing in various ways. It's not worth going into. It's got a good tutorial to explain that to you. So if you buy it, I'll let that do it for you. Or you can look it up on YouTube. And it's also available on other formats. It's definitely available on Steam. I think I might pick it up on Steam at some point. I can then play it in rotated mode with a joystick the way it's meant to be played. 
but it's a good game. If you've got the setup on the Switch to do this, I would say definitely get it. It looks a bit like Centipede. It has that graphical style going way, 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 way back to the, one of the earliest shooters there is. It's got that, but obviously more sophisticated, very colourful, abstract, quite beautiful, very good scoring system. If you're into vertical shooters and you have the way to play it properly, then definitely pick it up. Moving on, the next thing that I've been playing, well, it would have been Forza 5. And we're just going to tell you briefly about my experience. So, very much like episode 93, when I was talking about Forza in detail, and nothing's really changed for me, and I think, in fact, it's got worse. So, it's got this thing that is either brilliant or terrible, depending on your particular point of view and your flavour of source of you drive to events and that part of it is like a driving game and then when you're in an event it's like a racing game and it gives you this opportunity to explore this very big and very rich world with amazing graphics in a way that's never been really done before okay it's been done in Forza 4 but it, you know it's such a technical breakthrough in how it looks I don't care what anyone says it really genuinely is that if you like it, if you click with it, then that is just going to be such a wonderful, wonderful experience for you. That's fantastic. Unfortunately for me, I don't enjoy the driving around bits. I tried to unlock fast travel, but it's very convoluted, not convoluted, but it, a lot, it requires a vast amount of input and effort to get to that point. So it makes you play the duration of a game to get to the point where you don't have to play the duration of a game. And that's very much set up in a way that's there to keep engagement it has tons and tons of things popping up in your on your map as tasks it's basically like your bogo ubisoft flag popping up side mission constant interruption type game which i know a lot of people really really like i think fewer like it than they used to um but it, for me, I hate that. Uh, it's really annoying. So even if it, if it was just driving and left you alone, that would be one thing. And I might be able to switch off, do it on an automatic pilot, and have something on in the background like YouTube or a podcast. But because of the way that it demands your attention in a style that's akin to advertising on the TV, that side of it completely puts me off. For me, personally, it feels like a really good game buried within a lot of corporate nonsense. Stuff that's designed to be not anti-consumer necessarily, but definitely pro-publisher. It's there to rake in money as much as it is to provide a brilliant game. It's very, very, very strange. There are, there are still not very many games like this, you know, you, your go-to and my go-to might be, you know, FIFA, FIFA Soccer. But even that, I don't think that people think that the core game in that is miraculous and fabulous and surrounded by a load of empty, petty, capitalist crap. I think they think that it's, you know probably the best football game out there but it's in a field on its own ironically and therefore very little competition anyway but the game is perfectly fine but it's just iterative and each year there's not much more put into it so yeah it's good it's good enough you can play with your friends 
and it's got all of the football players in it. And there's an element of that in Forza 5, but it's more... It's just a great game. It's a really fantastic game that does stuff in a way that isn't really done elsewhere. And the core mechanic of it, the way that it handles and plays, is fabulous. It's just a shame that it's buried in a load of stuff that is extremely off-putting to a lot of people. If you're enjoying it, that's brilliant and more power to you, because it's got a great game in there. And playground games are amazing. And I'm going to leave it on that note. Other than that, which is a lot of talk about a game I've not really been playing, is a game that I really have been playing and playing a lot of, and that is Resident Evil 3, the remake from 2020. And this is a game that came out so, so shortly after Resident Evil 2 remake that it kind of got eclipsed. And I think it got eclipsed for, you know, for good reason. I think it was pretty much mostly an asset flip. Uh, for those who don't know, that means, you know, that you've got a load of video game assets that you've built that you apply to a game and you, a few months later, bring out something that, you know, just uses those assets. And, you know, the, the worst example being something like Metal Gear Survive, I think that's what it's called, where they just used all of you. They, they technically, Kaji, uh, Konami technically owned Kojima's assets for Metal Gear 5, so they made a terrible game out of those assets. But this isn't that. It's not a terrible game. It's a good game. It did suffer from coming out too soon after Resi 2. Uh, playing it in abstract about 18 months later and about two or three years out since I played Resi 2. It's really good. It's really good. I think it's going to take me, based on how much I've played so far, about five hours, six hours on my first run through. And I think it's one of those that you can do in a couple of hours when you know it. Now... To put that in perspective, that's the same as Resident Evil, the original game. So the first time I played that way back in the day, that took me like 10 hours, 12 hours, something like that. I got it down to an hour and a half on a speedrun. <laughs> you know, absolutely whacked through it. I drew little maps, blah, blah, blah. Great fun. <laughs> Did not care. And what's great about the, the classic, in inverted commas, Resident Evil games is that you play through them first and because they they require backtracking, Metroidvania style, and they have puzzles that require you to move between areas several times and collect things and juggle what's in your inventory, because of that, you go through the first time, you're blazing through your ammo because you're a bit rubbish, not knowing when things are going to appear, getting frightened by <laughs> jump scares and by tense situations and not knowing around what's around the next corner so you're cautious and you use a lot of ammo and then you know that takes 10 hours and it, you know well, five hours or whatever and then when you play it again it's a completely different but equally good experience it's fast it's agile it shows that it's much more important to be good at dodging and path path forming than it is to be good at aiming or even ammo conservation. It rewards memory, it re rewards familiarisation, and it's one of those that when you know the route and you know the line to take, and you know where the enemies are going to appear, and when you're skipping cutscenes, that it's going to be this speedy run that makes you look almost godlike. You know, you're just ignoring so zombies, or you're flipping around them, or taking a, a route that there's nothing even there, and you notice at that point that the areas are quite small. 
And then you're like, oh right, god, well I wandered back and forth through here and I came out of that door and then in this one and I picked up this thing and but I forgot something over there. And then the second time through it's, yep, I go in here, here, here and here and it takes five minutes. And both of those things have a complete joy to me. And I think that they do to a lot of people. And for me, that's the genius of these games. It's an old school thing that isn't really used very much anymore, simply because a lot of that second playthrough feel is now co-opted by publishers to be a paid-for experience. So you can approach it by going either I'm going to play it through and I'm going to buy all the DLC, which is a pay-to-win style cheat code and then rush through it because I'm over overpowered, you know, or I'll just buy that stuff from the start of my game and then I can go through it, you know, as a in a godlike kind of a way. And I'm not criticising gamers for that. In fact, I think that's brilliant. I'd love more games to let you have that option from the start without having to pay for it. However, it does mean that fewer companies stick that option in as something to do. So yeah, I, I think the big problem with Resi 3 from a perception point of view from the buying public is it was a lot of money for something that was a bit of an asset flip and doesn't really do anything particularly new or astonishing. That said, further down the line, I picked it up for a tenner and for that money, I think it's a fantastic experience. If you've not played it yet, I would say go into it knowing that it's going to be a shorter experience, even first time through, but that it's got a lot of good concentrated resi goodness. As an aside to that, I bought it because it's part of a flat screen to VR experiment that's going on. And I mentioned this a couple of podcasts ago, I think it was 92, where there are a lot of people who are trying to get, you know, these, these are non-paid, they're just modders trying to get off the ground, getting a lot more slightly older games and slightly older game engines to work in VR. So just turn regular, as it were, games into VR experiences. Now this is brilliant, as I've mentioned before, there aren't enough AAA style VR experiences out there and I always wanted to see it be like, oh yeah, there's there's this version and then there's the VR version that's added down the line or whatever and it's really starting to happen and the core with this is that they've managed to convert the the re-engine the or re engine however they pronounce it which is the for the format and basis of all the resi games from seven onwards and do it in vr so i've bought it for that it's not out yet that mod but i'm going to replay resi 3 in the vr when that's available, if you have a VR headset that's capable, which I think is most, check out the flat screen to VR movement, as it were, the modder community, see what's available, Risk of Rain 2, get it, it's amazing, there's loads of others available, check it out. This is the section of the show where I'm going to talk about my own personal experience and I'm really not going to talk about it for long. Brad was very, very kind to send his love from everybody and it's really felt and appreciated. What has happened is that a, a few things have happened, as, as alluded to, in people's lives, in our lives as a community and in our personal lives. For me, what's happened is a member of my family was diagnosed of lung cancer six weeks ago and unfortunately, yesterday, as I'm recording, they died. And I'd been kind of prepared for it because it was... It was, you know, diagnosed as stage four out of the gate, so there was only really one way it was going to go, and it was more about quality of life care for the remainder. And this was a cousin of mine, and we were very, we 
you know, we've always been close. We've not seen each other all that much, but you know, that's just lives. That doesn't. That's just geographical distance. Him having a family with children and me being hundreds of miles away and having my own family, just all the usual human stuff. Doesn't mean that we weren't emotionally close. And I wrote him a, a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, a uh, a letter in a card. I sent him a card, a, a kind of best wishes style thing, which had the best wishes. But the thing that I did that I really wanted to do, and I hope, I hoped when I was writing it that it would land, was explain why I liked him. And it's one of those things I'm not sure we do enough in life. So we tell people that we love them, but we don't explain why very often it's not something that naturally comes along and also I personally was worried that what I said might reduce it to just a handful of moments and therefore make them seem lesser in their own eyes uh, as to our relationship I can't really articulate it just that when you start to explain emotion in a, in a rational kind of sense that it might lose something or it might seem trivialised. I don't know. Some of that is just regular human, you know, <laughs> nervousness about talking about emotions as well. And I'm very open, very open about emotions, but when you're putting it down in words to somebody that you don't see all the time and that you don't, you know, don't have that daily or weekly relationship with or whatever, it's it's a challenge. And what I did was I said about very specific times when we were growing up together and what those things meant and the level of detail that I still remember about them. And then later in our lives and, you know, how he was with me after my dad died. My dad died when I was 13, very suddenly. And, you know, obviously that kind of wrecked my world. It was like smashing apart a Lego set and then you sort of lose a couple of pieces and then you have to put it back together and you, you put it back together in as beautiful a shape as you can but it's not the same and it's missing some pieces doesn't stop it being lovely to look at but it uh, you know and, and people from the outside would never know any different but you know that it's a, of a different construction um, and he was really really good he was just uh, just an ordinary human being uh, around that time when very many people some you know often withdraw and he felt he fought with his own mental health issues and I think that helped if you ever want to look to who's good in a crisis situation look to people who they themselves have had mental health issues they're very often the best people around at that point because they've been through similar things and they have coping mechanisms and strategies and they're really good at it anyway so I explained uh, not about that specifically but I said about how brilliant he was and why around that time and then later in life when you know things changed and we saw each other each other even less why those things remained important to me I got a text from him which was the last communication that I ever had because I put my phone number in the card saying that he was very moved you know that it that it made him cry and that he thought it was lovely and all of this which was just wonderful it was just a wonderful interaction to have just very honest very brief and very human and we have very few of those sorts of interactions in our lives we do more with the people that we you know our partners in our lives you know our, our romantic partners 
but less so with with people outside of our family and in our friend group so I was really glad that that happened and that really helped me I think not that I'm the person who really needs the most help in this situation by any stretch of the imagination because he's got elderly parents who have now lost a child it's the most devastating thing I can think of I don't have children and even I still think of it as the most devastating thing that can happen really to a person pretty much certainly one of them and all of that leaves it in a in an awful state and it left me unable to record at the same time as Brad which I really which is really sad to me because even though I do it every week it's something that it's it's really really important part of my life and something that I get a deep satisfaction from so there we go I just wanted to explain that a little bit it explains the kind of strange hodgepodge nature of the the podcast this week but that's life I'm glad that we were still able to put out content and that the majority of the content is still about entertainment again I'll reiterate please do just skip through any stuff that you find difficult or boring or inappropriate or anything that doesn't fit with how you want to listen it's your life you need an escape don't feel like these things are mandatory anyway saying all that I hope that goes to explain things a little bit. We'll be back to normal next week as usual. Thanks again to Bad for all their efforts. Their life isn't easy at the moment either. All love to them. All love to their family. But in the meantime, to the rest of you, stay safe and stay sane.